Sean Paul Ellis here from the Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast. Remember, that's morning with a U. We've got some quick pre-show announcements pertaining to a quick request from the show. Some very quick shout-outs, and also, what's happening in December? More importantly, what's actually happening on today's episode? So, very quick request, first and foremost. Maybe you've thought to yourself, hey, I would love to give SMC a Christmas gift this year. It's super simple. You can do three very quick things. It takes a total of two minutes. You can go to Apple Podcast and you can give us a rating. Maybe you've already done that. Share your favorite episode on social media. We'd love to know what it is. Maybe you've already done that and you're just a super wonderful friend. You can go and you can recommend a cartoon by calling us 202-681-4406 and we will 100% review that cartoon if we haven't already on an upcoming episode in February 2019. That's it. Super simple, and we really appreciate it. Some shout-outs. On Facebook, our buddy Doug, he wrote, Hey man, I really enjoyed the Gundam 0080 episode. I always wanted to check it out, but I never did. I have a love-hate relationship with the Gundam franchise. I love the concept, but I find the execution less than ideal. Thanks, and happy holidays. Well, thank you, Doug, and happy holidays to you, friend. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship. You could have basically just replaced my name or from yours, and it probably still would have been applicable. So I definitely think, though, you'll like 0080, so please check it out. Shane from YouTube noted, Recess is the best, most related kids series ever. The kids' world is full of adventures and freedom. Completely agree with you, Shane. We love Recess here at SMC. Also, Jeff from YouTube said, uh, regarding our Count Duckula episode, the motivation for his fame-seeking is to be memorable amongst the duck lineage. So further viewing would have shown some of his notable ancestors and the stunts that he attempted to match their achievements. So again, very self-serving, narcissistic, as we imagine Count Duckula to be. Jeff, thank you for your comment, friend. For the rest of December, we have the following. In a week, December 17th, we're doing our Rankin Bass Pinocchio's Christmas special with Melanie Harker and Angie Pirco to close out this year. That's it. Once we release that episode, we are wrapped for 2018, and we brought in an insane Rankin-Bass cartoon, so I hope that you are all ready. In 2019, we're going to be back on January 14th and 21st with back-to-back -back weeks of New Year's Nicktoons. Then, in February, as we mentioned previously, it's all about you. You get to call the shots. It's Listener Appreciation Month, the entire month. All you have to do, 202 681-4406, this guarantees that your cartoon is going to get reviewed. So if you've had something that you've been thinking about that we haven't reviewed yet, make sure it happens. So what's happening on this episode? I recently had an opportunity to do an interview with Joe Gardner and Michael Ashley, who wrote a book that's called It's Saturday Morning, not with a U. <laughs> it celebrates cartoons from the 60s through the 90s. What a perfect gift for that person who loves cartoons and is also in your life. We are also going to be giving away two copies, so check out our Twitter, at Morning Tunes, and on Facebook and Instagram, at Saturday Morning Cartoons, that's Morning With You, for more details on this giveaway. It's great to talk with Joe and Michael to find out what cartoons actually made the cut for this book and why. Joe and Michael discuss the criteria that they used to select some of the most influential and important cartoons of those four decades. All of that and more on today's episode. So now... On with the show.
Hello, and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the podcast that revisits, reviews, and ridicules some of the world's weirdest animated series. Today, we have a very special episode. Today, we're not actually talking about one single or particular cartoon. We're actually going to be talking about a lot of cartoons. And here to sort of share wisdom for this, we have Joe Gardner, six-time New York Times bestselling author. Welcome, Joe. How are you? I'm good. Nice to be with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for being on the show with us today. We're also joined by Michael Ashley, best-selling author. So welcome, Michael. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, excellent. And the exciting thing is that the both of you are talking today because you have written a book that's called It's Saturday Morning, Celebrating Cartoons from the 1960s to the 1990s. And so this is really, for anybody who's listening, this is a wonderful sweet spot of cartoon nostalgia that we talk about just about every other week on this show. And so this is fantastic to, to see. And, and I have an actual copy of the book in front of me. And may I say, congratulations, guys, because this is, this is wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate that. In fact, we're such big fans of your podcast. You are completely responsible for the inspiration for us doing this book. Oh, my God. No, That's not so. really true. <laughs> But I thought you'd like to hear that. Uh, no, it's uh, I'll tell you. Actually, you know how this came about. Um, Michael and I, even though there's about a 20-year age difference between the two of us, we started talking one day about aspects of popular culture that um, are of a bygone era. That you know, Michael's got younger kids, minor or older, but regardless, um, neither of them had that experience of waiting all week long for Saturday morning. Um, you know, it's almost impossible for, uh, you know, kids today to, to realize that, you know, Saturday mornings, typically between the hours of seven and, uh, and noon, were the only span of time where you could sit there and just enjoy cartoons. You know, nowadays, they're ubiquitous. You can pick up your phone and pull up an episode of whatever cartoon from whatever era. But there was a time when it was um, relegated just to Saturday mornings. And so uh, we thought that it was long overdue, uh, at least in print form, uh, to celebrate um, that experience. And that's how we came up with it Saturday morning. And that's excellent to, to really be able to see, you know, your celebration and sort of even your, your description of sort of this kid day is a, a great way to sort of understand the ritual and the process that I know that I went through growing up as a kid in the 80s and the 90s. And so it's, it's great to see a lot of this distilled into this book. I, I wanted to ask, uh, I know that you both have separate experiences, and I know that, Joe, you had mentioned that there is the 20-year difference. Uh, sort of, Joe, could you help me understand a little bit more about your background and sort of some of your influences? Well, sure. I mean, my, um, you know, my entire life, as far back as I have memory, um, I have loved popular culture, uh, radio and television and history and how, um, you know, they all influenced um, one another and uh, uh, got into radio at the age of 16. That was the first uh, commercial uh, radio job that I had. And um, I just have always loved popular culture. I you know, again, growing up in the Midwest, those long winter months, you are glued to that television set. So, you know, television was always a big influence in my uh, life and career and um, have had the good fortune of 
of spending the vast majority of it in radio and television. Um, up until about 1997, uh, I was in a meeting. We were talking about uh, creating programming um, that would commemorate the passing of the 20th century and the 21st century. And uh, got back to my office and um, was really struck by how everybody in the room had a story to tell about where they were when, depending on what moment we were talking about, whether it was the Kennedy assassination or the Apollo 11 moon landing or the O.J. Simpson uh, freeway chase or, or whatever the event. And it occurred to me that these were more than defining moments in history. These were the benchmarks in our lives. And we all shared that. And then it occurred to me that every one of the events we were talking about were introduced to us with the same four chilling words. We interrupt this broadcast. And it was in that skull crushing moment that I had the idea for what became my first book. And up until that point, I had had zero aspirations of being an author. In fact, when I first told um, very close friends and family that I was thinking about doing a book, they said to me, don't you think you ought to read one before you write one? Um, oh. Which was harsh, but uh, but uh, in, a, in, in, a, in an exaggeration. But um, you know, I uh, you know I I knew the good Lord looked out for the ignorant and the persistent, and I was the right mix of both. And uh, <laughs> put the book out in October. Got a publisher. Uh, we interrupt this broadcast, uh, which is out now, out in its fourth updated edition. Uh, came out in um, October, and by December, it hit the New York Times bestsellers list. Just changed the whole course of my life, and so. Uh, from there, went into sports, um, great sports moments, motion pictures, uh, television, comedy, um, even NASCAR, uh, just anything that had to do uh, or, or, you know, was sort of fixed into the pop culture zeitgeist. And, um, you know, that's why this book, uh, It's Saturday Morning, um, is just a natural extension. I mean, it's just another celebration of... Um, of Americana pop culture and thrilled that, you know, that, uh, that Michael and I, um, sparked the idea and, and pursued it. And that's great. And, and Michael, could you, could you tell our, our listeners and, and what, what sort of is your background? What were your influences coming into this as well? <clears throat> sure. So Joe and I are both from the Midwest. I come from St. Louis, Missouri, and my background is similar to Joe's where I grew up watching these cartoons. So I grew up as a child of the eighties. I watched shows like Smurfs and Muppet Babies and Gummy Bears and G.I. Joe and Transformers. And while I was watching the shows, I was always playing along with toys, uh, whether they be Voltron, G.I. Joe, you name it. I was always um, playing with toys as I was watching with them. And so my brother in the Midwest, uh, as you may know, you have basements. Uh, we don't have them really here in California, but we had a very nice basement. We had a lot of toys in that basement. So my brother was very much into sports when we were growing up. We're about two years apart. I'm older. And I would always make him play acting out imagination games based on the shows we watched. Of course, it wasn't just cartoons. I watched a lot of the great movies that came out of the 80s from people like Spielberg, things like Back to the Future, Star Wars. Um, but I know for a fact that all of these different things really influence my imagination. And so we use a quote in the introduction. We talk about the children's author, Maurice Sendak. And he once wrote, the magic of childhood is the strangeness of childhood the uniqueness that makes us see things that other people don't see. And I think that really speaks to how I view, how I still view my childhood, which was, it was a weird time. It was strange, but it was awesome. It was magical and wonderful. And so all that stuff established the imagination that, that I had. And so as a kid, I was drawn to these kinds of stories. 
uh, when I was 10 years old in fourth grade, my mom was dating this guy. My parents were separated. And he began telling me these stories about hobbits and all these elves and swords and, magician, and magicians. And so um, I didn't realize it, but that was actually a book series at the time. I found out it was Lord of the Rings. And then I went ahead and I read every single one of the, of the books, Lord of the Rings, when I was in like two months time when I was 10 years old. And I decided right then that I wanted to be a writer. And so flash forward a few years, I went to the University of Missouri. I was in the journalism program. I was a reporter. I was a playwright when I was in college. And I knew I wanted to write movies. And so I, I transferred, got my master's uh, degree from Chapman University. I got that in screenwriting. I worked as a reader for a creative artist agency. And then I, I went on to be a, um, a script writing consultant for Disney. And so I created the treatment that became the film Girl vs. Monster, which was a big hit for Disney in 2012. And along the same time, I was also working on other aspects of writing. I was working as a copywriter. I was working as a blogger, a magazine columnist. And I got the opportunity, based on working on, a, on that kid's movie, to create a video series. And the video series was, taking, uh, was all about taking scientific concepts and turning them into things that were accessible for children. Originally, it was a video series, but it became a book. And I learned that I could write books as well. And so I began writing lots of books. And around the same time, I opened my own content company. I was asked to interview Joe for a book. We were, it's actually going to come out in March. And it's called Skip a Step. And it's an interview with entrepreneurs, people who have done amazing things. So Joe was actually the first person that I interviewed. And him and I hit it off. And so one day we were talking about things that meant a lot to us, pop cultural events. And we both agreed that Saturday morning cartoons were seminal in our childhoods. They were our own kids' day. And they helped make us into the writers and the creatives that we are uh, today. That's excellent. It, it's great to hear that, you know, Americana and imagination are really the, the driving forces behind that, because I, I probably couldn't think of two better words to really describe that nostalgic feeling of, of going back and, and going through this book, as well as also reading a lot of these cartoons. I thought that it was very interesting and, and that uh, even in the, your foreword, you talk about the, the idea that, and, and Joe, I believe you mentioned this as well, that kids these days are never going to understand sort of the, the having to wait through commercial breaks and, and everything else that's included. They're going out and they're finding clips of, of these cartoons on old YouTube clips that they have that's available. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to dig through the, the bowels of YouTube to find uh, cartoons that we've reviewed on this uh, on this podcast, just really kind of getting down to shows that might be very obscure that not a lot of people have heard about and we can maybe find one YouTube clip and that becomes a real joy. And so it's, it's interesting that it's almost sort of an updated ritual from waking up early in the morning before, you know, cartoons were on sitting down and watching for about five hours until noon. Now it's sort of become this weird digital hunt in order to find that cartoon that I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, or maybe I don't remember the exact name, but I, I've got a couple keywords that I'm trying to narrow it down. Uh, right. It's, it's, it ends up being a lot of fun. So I'm glad to see well, you. That. Know, I'm sorry. What I was going to, uh, what you reminded me of, you were, you were talking about the fact that, um, you know, the kids, um, you know, watch them straight through now. They don't have the commercials and all that kind of stuff. And, and what a lot of people don't realize is that it was, it was, really the commercials in a lot of respect that inspired the cartoons. Right. Um, especially in the, you know, the, the early um, uh, evolution. And um, 
for those of us, you know, the three of us that remember the experience of Saturday morning cartoons, um, one of the things was the commercials. So to, to make this book, to give this book as much of an immersive experience as we could possibly do um, in, you know, ink and paper, um, we made sure to include the commercials. So as you right. leaf through the chapters, you're going to come to the Battleship commercial or the Life Serial commercial or the Slinky commercial or, you know, any one of a number of those things. But, um, but yeah, it was a very symbiotic relationship in those days. Uh, it was all about selling that sugary cereal. And, oh, by the way, here, let's create, um, you know, uh, Underdog or Bullwinkle or, you know, something like that as a, as a method for, um, you know, selling um, cereals and merchandise. Right. And it, it's great to kind of hear that from Michael as well, that so much of that imagination and that play was really triggered by what he was watching and what he was exposed to as well. I wanted to sort of, I'm kind of interested about the process for, for writing and creating this book. It seems like you have a, a lot of information. You have four decades of cartoons that you're really going over. And I, I understand that there's some criteria that you used for the show. Now, for our show, we use a certain set of criteria as well to be able to, to review and kind of understand as an adult through that, that critical adult lens, uh, how we perceive cartoons. Uh, for uh, for anybody that we have that comes on the show, myself included. And so mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'd love to kind of learn a little bit more, Joe, about sort of some of the criteria that you use, that you and Michael used, uh, in order to determine between these four decades what cartoons you were actually going to focus on. Do you want to kick that off? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Um, so when we were coming up with the book, we wanted to think about shows that really had a major influence on people. As you mentioned, there are lots of cartoons that, uh, people don't even remember these days and you have to hunt through YouTube to find them. And so we obviously have a lot of cartoons that we could go through and that we could pick. So we wanted to make sure that we were picking the ones that really stood out to people, things that really made a lasting cultural impression. So what's interesting is if you think about a show like The Jetsons, so The Jetsons was originally only on for 24 original episodes in the 1960s. And yet, even as a kid in the 1980s, I was watching those episodes they were still in syndication. And so it's definitely had an impact on our, our po on popular culture. In fact, it's interesting. A lot of the, the, the innovations that they use in Jetsons, we take for granted today, like the video phones, they actually came to fruition all these years later. And so we try to think about shows that, that did have a lasting impact on people. Another one that is a, a good example is Scooby-Doo. So Scooby-Doo, definitely there's, there's words in our, in, that still have, are in our lexicon. In fact, it's interesting. I have a, a nephew who's six years old, and he, he went to Scooby-Doo this year. So obviously that came out in the 1970s, but it still reigns supreme in our culture. And so when we're coming up with these, yeah, the shows that we're going to feature in the book, we, we want to think about things like that. Which ones stood the test of time, even if they were only on for a season or two, like Space Ghost, um, that was something that was major in our considerations. When we're putting it together, we wanted to give credit, of course, to the, uh, the voice actors that were in it. Interesting people like Mel Blank. Obviously, I did, I think, almost every one of the voices on the, uh, the Looney Tunes cartoon. So it was interesting to look at people like him or Don Messick, who was very much involved in, in the character voices for the 1980s. So we want to give credit to them. And then we try to think about stories that really help encapsulate what the show was about, either how they were created, things that happened as a result of them, if there was some, let's say, political fallout because of something that occurred. 
and then what the lasting impression is. So a show like Garfield, you know, there's a float that's in, the, uh, in Macy's Day Parade. There's also a cartoon that, that continues even today of, of Garfield. And of course, there have been the movies as well. So those are the considerations that we came up with. We wanted to put together pithy but interesting articles on, on each, one of these, um, each one of these shows that would keep people interested and kind of be an ode to them, kind of a celebration uh, of that cartoon for people that were reading it. And, and I'd just like to add, what, the, you know, one of the things that's always difficult in doing these kinds of collections, and I've, I've, this is the 13th for me, is that um, you realize you're not going to be able to include everything. I mean, we'd still be working on the book and you'd have to take out a mortgage to buy it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we don't mind being criticized for what we didn't include you know, because we can't include everything, you know, if people can take issue with what we did include, then, you know, then, then there's a problem there. Um, but, you know, we had a, we had a wide swath that we had to hit. I will tell you about a little arm wrestling match that we had. Um, because oh, please. As a kid in the, yeah, <laughs> in the seventies, I loved the Sid and Marty Croft live action cartoons. I loved um, HR Puffin stuff. I mean, to completely geek this out, I still have my Freddie the Flute uh, which I bought out of um, Frosted Flakes um, probably back in 1972. I mean, I'm a collector and I love all that kind of stuff. And um, But uh, Michael and the publisher um, said that, no, this is cartoons. We've got we've to stick strictly with cartoons, with the one exception being in the 90s, um, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Uh, again, as right. Michael said, um, iconic, uh, really... Um, uh, emblematic of the of the era and so forth still stands the test of time. But the other thing that we did too was we paid attention to uh, cultural evolutionary aspects of, of the culture. Um, by way of example, uh, Schoolhouse Rock um, is is featured in the 70s. Um, and uh, Michael mentioned Space Ghost. Space Ghost um, sort of came out of as as the cartoons were. Uh, you know, as, as we said, cartoons started in the mid-60s, roughly, um, in terms of Saturday mornings. And as the programmers were, were, were watching the, the analytics, seeing the audience and stuff, they started seeing kids growing out of uh, in, in stop, you know, stop watching um, cartoons like Underdog or uh, Mighty Mouse or, you know, the superhero where it was anthropomorphic, um, you know, these animals. And so they had to create, um, you know, other superheroes. So it was that that's where Super Friends and that's where Space Ghost and, you know, those sorts of cartoons. So it was kind of fun to, to watch how they were learning what the process was. And then one of the funniest stories uh, for me personally, I think it's hilarious, is how Underdog, um, you know, Underdog migrated to uh, nearly all of the networks. But in the uh, when when standards and practices started to have a hand in cartoons. Um, if you recall, Underdog used to take a super energy pill. Well, not in the later right. episodes. They edited that <laughs> out. So they took away his drug abuse and, um, and, uh, and sanitized it in other ways. But, I, you know, it was really, it was fun to, to, to see that, you know, when you're actually sort of studying it. Oh, that's, that's wonderful to, to have the surprises. And I, I did not realize that about Underdog, that they had kind of scrubbed that completely out for later episodes. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, well, you can only be... imagine now if it were out there with uh, hashtag me too, just how would that relationship with sweet Polly purebred um, <laughs> yeah. be depicted, you know? 
it's 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 interesting to sort of see some of the things that were considered acceptable and social norms for those periods of time in 2018. It, they, some of them just don't age well, and that's that's understandable. But it it's, it it does make you cringe a little bit when you watch it, or at least kind of say something doesn't seem or feel right in this particular cartoon. And I. I'm going to check out the age for it to to see if I'm dating myself on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting along those lines. So, uh, series Playoffs is on Netflix now. And so we, I have a three-year-old and we watch it and actually it does hold up. I mean, you can only watch about three or four episodes before you start, start to think you're on, on an acid trip. But when you watch <laughs> the show, you realize there's a lot of sexual tension on that show. Miss Yvonne is, um, there's an episode where she's, uh, she's changing. They're going to go swimming. And, and Pee-wee's leering at her. There's, I can't remember the guy's name now, but there's a kind of pool boy that's very muscular. And uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of sexual stuff there that, that is, it seems almost as if the show is, is meant for adults in a lot of ways, um, where they have adult mm-hmm. themes. And, and oftentimes in the show, um, even though it's intended for kids, it's mostly a bunch of adults in, in a room. Um, whereas if you watch a cartoon nowadays, it's mostly told, told from the kid's point of view. When I, I worked at Disney and we were working on the, the next um, TV show, the next movie, and they were saying, you, you got to keep the parents out of the picture. The kids don't want to think about the parents. They don't want to think about the adults. You got to make it very kid centric. And I think that's, that's what's also different about a lot of the shows like Pee Wee Herman, where really it, it is a, most, uh, a lot of the adults are in, in the scenes. Right. Now that's, that's really interesting. I, I, I had never really kind of considered that, that point of view or that focus when developing it, which is, like you said, keep the adults out of the room. Kids want to kind of focus on the, the fun or, or sort of use whatever character that they see on screen sort of as their stand-in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell oh, you something else. You know, another, it, it just occurred to me too, or not, didn't it just occur to me, but one of the things that we came across when, you know, when we were looking at cartoons that, you know, probably wouldn't make it to air today, and that would be uh, Fat Albert. And the Cosby Kids. I mean, right. um, just the term. I mean, it, it might in some other sort of uh, configuration, um, but I mean, when, you know, Mushmouth and um, you know, when you, you just you know the the derogatory names. You know, it, it's funny. It, it didn't even hit the radar. Um, you know, back when the cartoon originally aired. But um, nowadays, uh, I can only imagine the the uproar. I mean, right. just the name Fat Albert. You know. Can you imagine a show where the the main character's name is Fat Albert? It just wouldn't occur these days. We live in a much more PC scrubbed culture than we than we did back did back then. Mm-hmm. Right. So I wanted to kind of shift gears very quickly, and I wanted to kind of understand, uh, Joe. I'm mm-hmm. I'm somebody who who is picking up uh, it's Saturday morning for the first time. Mm-hmm. What what should I expect? What would you like readers to to kind of uh, expect when picking up this book? Are you uh, of the era or are you younger? I, I, I'm of the era. Of the era, I would expect you to uh, have a wonderfully nostalgic um, experience. We, from the cover all the way through, even the edges of the pages, we wanted the book to recall that magic and that color and the sort of experience of uh that you would have had 
with Saturday morning. If we'd have had our way, uh, the cover would have come with a little packet of Fruit Loops or Captain Crunch or something like that so that it would be the complete experience. That's the only thing, you know how they say batteries not included? This is sugary right. cereal not included. But otherwise, <laughs> um, we expect you to, to be able to just leaf through page by page and just go, oh, God, I remember. Oh, my God, I remember that. And just have a wonderfully immersive experience and, and one that you can go back to time and time again. And at the same time, maybe learn a little something about the cartoon that you didn't really know that's fun, too. Absolutely. So we've gotten Joe's perspective. Michael, this is going to put you in the difficult situation that if I am younger than these particular decades, what would you ex what would you uh, what would you want to share? What message would you want to convey? Or, or, or what would you expect of the readers kind of coming in for a younger generation that may not have watched some of these cartoons? Well, I would say, first of all, you're lost. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> what I would say <laughs> that's really hard. Uh, no, um, what I would say is, you know, it's interesting. I mentioned before I have a three-year-old um, and I've actually, I, my, he had, uh, he has a friend and they're, they're so he's a friend that's three years old, but they have an older brother and he's 10. And he was walking in the, around the house showing this book to his mom. I know this because we ran into them on Halloween and she was saying how much he wouldn't, he wouldn't put the book down. And so what I would say is that there is something appealing there. What's interesting about Saturday morning cartoons is they're, um, they're derivative, but I mean that in a good way. And what I mean by that is they keep on going and going. And so even the stories within them, the stories of Saturday morning cartoons, the plots and the themes go back to, I mean, they have their classical roots back in, in, in Greek writings and play writings. So it's, these are all different stories that we've heard throughout history, but they're being remixed and they're finding different characters and different expressions, but they all speak to a, a common theme of humanity, right? Even if we're telling a story about Glomer, um, a magical creature in, in Punky Brewster, there's still a humanity to that. Even if it's, it's mother babies, there's still something that we can all connect to. And so what's interesting, kids these days, they may not have grown up with the original version, but Muppet Babies has come back. My son watches Muppet Babies, and so he, right. he gravitates to them. If you look at a show like Super Friends, um, even though we have super uh, hero characters right now and they look different, they can still kind of connect with them. Although I will say I have not watched the new Aquaman movie, but that, that new Aquaman looks very, very different from the, uh, the Justice League version of Aquaman. But <laughs> um, right. I mean, just, just the, the, the uh, Superman character, um, you, you look at that and kids can still gravitate towards them. And um, as Howie Mandel aptly said in, in the Ford, what's so wonderful about these cartoons is that they're larger than life. They have colors that just burst across the screen. Um, the same is true. We, tr we try to do the same thing with the book where it's extremely colorful. So any kid that picks this up, yes, maybe they didn't, they didn't grow up with these exact sh series or shows, but a lot of them still exist. I mean, even shows like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, Turtles in, in different form, but they can still gravitate towards them. They can still find something enjoyable about them. There's still the stories to, to gravitate towards as well. So I would say all hope isn't lost because a lot of this stuff is coming back. And with any luck, you know, Netflix will say to Joe and me, you know, you guys should host your own Saturday morning cartoon where you, uh, you bring back these cartoons for, for the next generation so they don't have to hunt so hard for them uh, on YouTube. I like the I, way honestly, you say it, I would love, I would, I would love that, Michael. That sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, I know that you are, I know that we're a little bit short on time. And so 
one of the, the final questions I wanted to, to pitch out is that, mm-hmm. Joe, if, if time and money was not a constraint, is mm-hmm. there a particular cartoon that you would like to, to reboot, uh, even with its original voice cast and, and, and writers, uh, is there something that you would like to reboot or continue the series for? You know, the one that I, I just think it's, it's so unfortunate that it, it didn't last long in its original run, and that was the Jetsons. Um, you know, I, I just think nowadays, especially since we've caught up to it, uh, in right. many respects, as Michael pointed out, you know, the video phone and that kind of stuff, how cool would it be to get a group of futurists in a room along with the cartoonists and the story, you know, the, the writers, and see where the Jetsons would be, you know, from here? Um, you know, I mean, it was, it was such a, a, a concept ahead of its time. I mean, the fact that they, you know, at, at that time when it originally aired, they, they, they did it in color because they thought that right. it would really uh, illustrate and, 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 and um, underscore, you know, the whole futuristic world, you know, the, the elevated homes and, and the flying cars and all that kind of stuff not taking into consideration only 3% of the population had color television in those days. So they're watching this, you know, in shades of gray. And uh, so it's a little wonder that it, it, it failed when it did. But, you know, today I, I think it would be really, I think it'd be really cool and, and do it with CGI and all that kind of stuff. So that'd be my vote. Wow. That would, I, would, I would actually really like to see what the Jetsons, I, I would love to see that as well. That sounds, yeah. that sounds awesome. You know what it would be? It would be them just sitting because everything will be AI and they'll just be like these pods of human blob. And uh, no, I, no, no, I, I, I mean, did that, that for Michael's that, benefit. Michael's doing a book on AI next. So, um, you know, that, that was that was the that was the gloom and doom version of what AI is going to contribute. I was concerned that it might be something like the the, the humans on Wally or even uh, like a Ready Player One style thing where it's just people in VR worlds and not even thinking about it. Oh, Michael, hope I wanted to, I got, let's really hope not. Yeah, Michael, I yeah. wanted to ask you the, the same question. No constraints. Um, time or time and money is not an issue. Anything that you would continue or reboot? Sure. Well, actually, I think there is something interesting with the Ready Player One idea. I know you're kind of joking uh, about that, but I think that there is something that would be pretty cool if you were to make a cartoon that was futuristic, that was about virtual reality and worlds within worlds. But, okay. Um, that said, I actually would think uh, He-Man would be a really nice cartoon to bring back. Um, I we, we talk about this in the book where um, a lot of parents really were up in arms about He-Man. He-Man was the first cartoon that was uh, based, you know, I mean, they've created toys and then then created the, the cartoon around it. Um, and I remember as a kid, I had the, I had the toys. I had the Castle Grayskull and I had Battle Cat and all that stuff. And they were really great toys. But um. I think what gets lost in this is that the stories were actually really good and they really weren't so much dependent on violence. Saturday morning cartoon got a, a lot of bad rap for the, uh, the so-called violence in the shows. But if you look at something like GI Joe, where no one actually really died in that show, they had all this great machinery, all these great weapons. And the only thing that ever happened was they blew up the robots and, and, and took them out. But the humans never died. Well, the same thing was true with He-Man. It, it was really more cerebral. It was actually about the storytelling and the friendships behind behind them. And um, I would actually like to see that show come back. I think a lot of people really gravitate, gravitated towards it. They really liked it. I think that would be a fun reboot. Um, if it wasn't 
I mean, actually, I think if also if you were to bring back Pee Wee's Playhouse, that wouldn't be so bad either. Although, you know, there might be some other implications of that based on, you know, <laughs> um, right. Sort of so, Paul but, past. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there might be there might be some danger there. Um, and I will say, uh, I know I'm I'm kind of going past one show, but I will say that I think a show like Darkwing Duck or or, or even Animaniacs, we're talking about 90 shows, were really clever and really smartly written. Um, we talk about the, this in the book that they were they were meta. They were very self conscious, so they knew about all the cartoons that already happened, and so they they would riff on them and kind of talk to the audience. And they I think that they even made the kids smarter in in a way because of the fact that they were so self aware. And I think if you were able to kind of combine that in a way that didn't seem too sassy or sarcastic, there could be something good there too. No, I I agree. I mean I. I know even from just the Animaniac standpoint, hopefully the reboot that we're going to going to get within the next year or so for that's going to be on Hulu. So I'm oh. excited to sort of see Animaniacs come back uh, in a sense and, and see how they're going to continue and, and what's going to happen. And I don't think that that self-awareness of that meta humor is going anywhere with that show. In fact, if anything, I think it's going to become more ingrained into sort of how they use that as a mechanism to deliver jokes. And so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely excited about that. And, and Michael, I, I'm, I'm on the same page with you. I think that'd be awesome. I think it's interesting <laughs> that um, cartoons of the 90s really paved the way for the, um, the stuff that Pixar puts out now in, in the sense that the jokes were not just aimed at the kids, they're na- aimed at the adults, and they are very knowing and very self-aware. Um, and um, you get that sensibility that both the kids and the adults are laughing along with, with the, with the storylines. No, I agree. Well, I, I wanted to thank the both of you. It's Saturday morning, celebrating the golden era of cartoons from 1960s through the 1990s. Uh, Joe Gardner, Michael Ashley, thank you guys both so much for being here. I, I know that this book is out now, and we are going to be mm-hmm. linking to this in, in all of our show notes uh, and, and putting this out on our social media. If you have a cartoon fan that is out there and you're looking for the perfect Christmas gift for them, this, we found it for you. We've done your holiday shopping. It's perfect. You can order it on Amazon. <laughs> it's going to be the easiest Christmas purchase that you make for, for a friend or family member. Uh, thank you to the both of you. Joe, Michael, is there, is there any place uh, where any of our listeners could find you online, social media? Uh, or I know that you mentioned that you have another book that's coming out in March. Anything that you would like to plug? We can start with Joe. Um, no, just... Um... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on Facebook and, you know, um, Twitter and LinkedIn and you'll find me and, and we'll keep you posted and abreast of, of, uh, of everything that's going on. So, uh, happy holidays to you and to everybody. And, um, it was a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Joe. And happy holidays to you as well. Uh, Michael, any anything that you have that's coming up that you would like to plug, or any anything on social media where you'd like to direct people? Well, I would just I would say um, just go to go to Amazon, buy the book, please. And if you love the book, <laughs> please give us five stars. Even if you don't give, love the book, maybe think about giving us five stars. Um, as well as go to Goodreads as well, because um, we would love to hear your feedback and your opinions, and to share with as many people as possible. Excellent, excellent. Joe, Michael, thank you both so much. Uh, happy holidays to the both of you. And we really appreciate your time. Thank you, Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. That is it. Special thanks to Joe and Michael for being awesome and coming on the show. We are going to be giving away, again, two 
copies of their book. It's Saturday morning. Check it out on all of our social media platforms that we have. And we'll be back next week on December 17th with Pinocchio's Christmas from Rankin Bass. Thank you for listening. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.